Well, hey there, my name is Eric Gray, and I'm the Young Adult and Family Minister here at the Regency Church of Christ. I just want to take a minute and say thank you for checking out this message. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. And to find out more information about Regency or to listen to other messages from this series, we'd love for you to check out our website at regencycc.org. And we're praying that this message will help you grow closer to Jesus. So I came across a story, uh, heard a story a couple weeks ago about this father and son. Uh, The son's name was Dan Cummings Jr., and his father's name was Dan Cummings Sr. And so this father and son were very close, and Dan Jr. was a, a good kid. He was a senior in high school and was real involved at his church and his youth group and never got in trouble at school, never even had a parking ticket before. And one night, his senior year of high school, Dan Jr. didn't come home, and Dan Sr. was at home, and he got a phone call, and it was the police. And they said, your son is has been arrested. Your son's been arrested, and you need to come pick him up. And he said, oh, that, that can't be right. That can't be true. That can't be my boy. And I said, it is. You need to come get him. So he goes, he goes to the police station. Don't you take this off? I'm going to take this off. He goes to the police station, and he picks up his son. And they're riding on the way home. And come to find out, his son had tried a drug one time. And within a week, he had been addicted to this drug. And it was so bad, his addiction. Uh, he had this drug dealer that he was trying to buy drugs from. He was out of money. And so he goes and he breaks into this gun store. And he steals a gun, and he sells it to the drug dealer to buy drugs. So they had a hearing, and Dan Jr. um, got a very harsh sentence, shocked the crowd that was there. The judge decided to be very strict, and he was sentenced to 10 years in jail with no chance of parole. They just passed a law in the state, I think it was the state of Florida, um, to where they were being very strict. If you sold a gun to a drug dealer, they were going to be very strict on you. And so here, they're in this situation, and Dan Jr., had made this decision, it's his fault that had gotten him into this really bad situation. Where at a young age, instead of having a bright future ahead of him, he finds himself in a dark place. I'm going to come back to that story in just a minute. Sometimes when things are at our worst, especially when the pain that we're feeling is something that's self-inflicted, it's because of some decisions that we've made, something that we've done wrong, Sometimes it can feel like, where is God in this situation? I feel abandoned. I don't feel like God's presence is here with me. And the story we're going to look at this morning, and the whole Bible in a sense, stands to say that the times when we are down, the times when we are finding ourselves in a dark place or a pit that maybe we've even dug with our own bare hands, that those are the times that we are maybe even more likely to encounter the living God. And the story we're going to look at is we're continuing the story of Jacob. And Jacob is at a place, and the story we're going to look at today, where he has no friends, he has no money, he sinned big time, he's getting what he deserved. And those sometimes are the moments when God makes his presence known. And this is the story of Jacob. So if you've got a Bible, flip over in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, starting at verse 10, we're going to read this together. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. 
When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. This does not sound like a great moment for Jacob. Jacob's at his worst here. So if you remember, Jacob had stolen the blessing from Esau. He had made this trade where he got the birthright. He had deceived his father to get the blessing from the father. And his plan has kind of backfired on him. Esau is furious with him. We find out in Genesis chapter 27 verse 41 that Esau is actually plotting his twin brother's murder. So Jacob's on the run from his brother. And he's traveling from the land of his father Isaac to the land of his relative Laban. So he has to leave home. And his journey is going to be a 500-mile journey. And he's going to stay with people he's never met. He's not sure how he's going to be received. And about 50 miles into the journey, he stops for the night. And he's going to get some sleep. And he lays his head on this stone to fall asleep. And the narrator paints this vivid picture. It's this certain place, this kind of unnamed, no landmarks, middle of nowhere place. And he's got this stone as a pillow. There's no other options. He doesn't have any possessions, any money with him. He's all alone in the middle of nowhere. Jacob is alone. Jacob is poor. Jacob is dishonored. Instead of being blessed, instead of receiving this blessing, he is separated from everything that he knows. Word is getting out about his deceit. And he has to leave the promised land. The promised land, that's the place where God's presence is. But he is having to leave this place and to go somewhere else. God actually warns earlier in places not to leave the promised land. When Isaac was looking for a wife, the rule was don't leave the land. And now Jacob has to leave before he's killed by his brother. Have you ever had a Jacob moment? Probably not exactly like this. Your twin has probably never plotted your murder. But maybe you have had moments where because of decisions that you have made, you have dug yourself this pit, this place where you find yourself in the middle of nowhere. You feel lost. You feel like you don't have a home. You feel like you don't have purpose. You feel like there's no one there with you. And maybe like Jacob, you find yourself in the middle of nowhere. And maybe you're even wondering where God's presence is in your life. The one who dressed up, Jacob, is now stripped of all of his masks. And under those masks, it's not a very good picture that we find with Jacob. Going on in our story in Genesis chapter 28, verse 12, it says he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13, there above it stood the Lord. And the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through your offspring. Verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. 
He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And I want to focus in on one of those lines that Jacob has this realization of. Jacob says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Now, he wanted to be in the presence of God, but part of him felt like he had left that behind in the promised land. And yet, here he is in the middle of nowhere, and he recognizes, he comes to this conclusion through this dream, oh my goodness, the presence of the Lord is here. I wasn't even aware of it, but God's presence is here with me now in the middle of nowhere. In this dark place that I have put myself in, God's presence is with me. You know, God's presence is kind of an interesting thing. We want God's presence in our lives, but sometimes we don't know exactly what that means. I remember going on a trip uh, with my youngest son a couple years ago, and it's just me and him driving. And on the way there, we've stopped at a gas station. He wanted some candy or a treat, and so I gave in and I bought some M&Ms. Not even the peanut one, so I didn't you know, splurge too much. I just got him the regular M&Ms. And so we have these M&Ms, and he's eating them. I'm holding them. I'm passing them back to him. Well, eventually, guess what happens? We run out of M&Ms. And I didn't anticipate this problem. And he starts just crying and losing his mind in the back seat. And he's crying, wanting more M&Ms. I want more M&Ms. And I'm telling him, like, listen, I don't have any more M&Ms. And eventually, instead of crying out for more M&Ms, he starts crying out for his mom. Mom, mom. I'm like, buddy, mom is not here. It's just the two of us. And in the moment, like, is he really wanting his mom? No, he's not. What is he wanting? He's wanting M&M's. He's wanting what he thinks his mom will give him. He's not really wanting his mom in that moment. Sometimes I think we do this with God where we don't necessarily aren't looking for God. We are looking for, we think, what God will give us. Maybe that's peace. We want God's peace so bad. And so that's the thing that we desire from God. Maybe we want God to work a situation in our favor. And so that's the thing that we expect from God. And we want these things from God more than we actually want the presence of God in our lives. And so... We have to recognize that having the presence of God is more important than anything that God might give us because by God being willing to give us his presence, he's already given us everything. The people of God recognize that. There's a scene in Exodus 33 where Moses and God are having this conversation. God's going to give Moses the promised land, and he says, I'm going to give this to you, but I'm not going to go with you because the people are these stiff-necked people. And Moses says, listen, we don't want the land. We want you. If you're not going to go with us, if your presence is not with us, what will set us apart from the rest of the the world? Moses recognized that the presence of God distinguishes God's people from everybody else. That is the thing that we should desire, is God's presence in our lives, not just the things that God might give us. And so for Jacob here, Jacob recognizes God's presence is in this place, and he wasn't even aware of it. Now for Jacob, Jacob was alone. And God says to him, says, I'm with you. Says it to him in verse 15. Basically, you won't be alone forever. God's with you. And then he promises Jacob that Jacob will have offspring. Jacob is dishonored. But yet God says to him, listen, people will call God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Says, I'm with you. You are blessed even in the mess that you find yourself in. Jacob is leaving this land, but God says to him, I will bring you back. Says that to him in verse 15 as well. 
And it's hard to imagine what these words must have meant to Jacob in this moment. Jacob is in a dark place. He is on the run. He is being hunted down by his brother. He is dishonored. And yet God says, I'm with you. I'm not giving up on you. And these words didn't come by themselves. It came with this vision, this ladder, this stairway, this dream. And in this dream, many scholars believe that it would have been something very wide, something expansive. And notice too that the stairway, it's coming from heaven. It's not a stairway to heaven. Christianity really is the only religion that operates this way, where the ladder, the stairway, it comes to us. It comes to us. In John chapter 1, verse 51, we see that Jesus is this stairway. Jesus says, he, says, he then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's through Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And so Jacob has this response, and he decides to set up the stone as a pillar to remember what happened at this place. And if you look at verse 20 of Genesis chapter 28, it says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat, and will give me clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So, Jacob, here in the middle of nowhere, this is what he does when he has this encounter with God. He's running for his life. He's far from the safety and security of everything he knew. And we see in this moment that some of the the greatest things that God will do in our lives happen when we're in times of transition and when we're in times of trouble. What a moment for Jacob to experience, to recognize God's presence in his life. And it happens in this moment of transition and trouble. Now, I will say, I don't love his response. Did you check out the response that Jacob had? Like, not the response of him setting up the stone, not the response of him saying he's going to give a tenth of what he had back to God, but his if-then response. Notice he says, if God will be with me, if He'll keep me in this way that I go. If God will give me bread to eat, if God gives me clothing to wear, if he brings me back to my father's house again in peace, then the Lord will be my God. Thank goodness God didn't give an if-then promise to Jacob. God didn't say to Jacob, Jacob, if you stop lying, then I will be with you. If you get this one thing right in your life, then you will get this land. It doesn't work that way with God. The way that God loves us and his presence comes into our lives isn't only when we're doing everything that he says that we should be doing. God comes to us just when we need him the most, just when our lives are spinning out of control and we're desperately searching for peace and comfort, for forgiveness. That's when God's presence, we can find it in our lives. He doesn't wait to love us until we start acting right. He loves us before we make a decision to do anything. Going back to our story of Dan Jr. and Dan Sr. So Dan Sr. was devastated when his son went to prison. He didn't know what to do with himself. And so he owned the small business. He didn't have a lot of money, but over the course of the next year, he spent $50,000 in lawyer fees 
trying to get his son released from prison or to get the sentence lightened. And every time that he'd go in and meet with the judge, the judge would say, he sold a gun to a drug dealer. Sorry. We're, we're, we're very strict on that. We're going to be very harsh on that. And so he said this every single time. And so Dan Sr. got this idea. What if, what if I could get the gun back? And so Dan Sr. did something pretty bold and may have seemed even a little crazy. He decided to, to dress in ragged clothes and he went to this terrible part of town and he submerged himself in the drug culture there. And so he was meeting drug dealers. He impersonated someone that was using drugs. And he would go to this area a couple times a week. And he did this for seven months. He actually was uh, involved or around some gang shootings that were taking place, put his life in danger. And he did this over the course of seven months. Finally, he finds the guy. And he begs him, sell me back this gun. And so the drug dealer sells him back the gun for $1,000. Dan Sr. then takes the gun, they have a hearing, and he brings it to the judge. And he says, here's the gun, Your Honor. It can't be used to harm anyone any longer. Please have mercy on my son. And there were eyewitnesses in the courtroom, and a lot of people were crying, and it was an emotional scene. Even the judge, uh, they said, had a tear rolling down his cheek. And the judge said, I will have mercy on your son. And Dan Sr. said, may I go hug my boy? And the judge said, you can go hug your boy. And so Dan Jr. got to go free. He was released from prison. He was shown mercy. And now today he goes around and he speaks to different groups, young people especially, about the dangers of drugs. But in that story, like, what did Dan Jr. actually do? What did he do to get out of jail? The answer is nothing. (laughs) He didn't do anything except he was caught in the arms of a loving father. Dan Jr. doesn't use drugs anymore. Why? Is Is it because he has to not use drugs anymore? Or has he been so affected by grace that he wants to please his father? When we fully understand the grace of God, we want to be as far away from sin as possible. For Jacob, Jacob finds himself in a place where God comes to him and is showing him grace and mercy. God is still willing to use someone like Jacob to do his will. And for Jacob, the response shouldn't be one of, okay, God, well, if you give me these other things, then I will follow you. It should be a recognition of, man, the presence of God is here. God, you love me even when I've messed up and made mistakes. And so because of that, I want to serve you. It's not the other way around, where if you do these other things for me, then I will serve you. Genesis chapter 28, verse 18 and 19. says, Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, which means the house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. To Jacob, Bethel initially was just this rest stop, just a place where he was going to spend the night. He didn't expect to meet God there, but yet he does. And he renames the place the house of God. After Bethel, Jacob proceeds to the land of Laban, where he's tricked into marrying Leah, and he had to work there many years for the hand of Rachel. We'll talk about that story uh, in the future here in the next week or two. 
It was there that he had the sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. He eventually had to run from Laban and his family. And 20 years after his dream, God tells him to return to Bethel and build an altar there. Jacob had to go back to Bethel after all those years and be reminded that God had started his purpose in Jacob's life and that he would be faithful to finish it. We need reminders like that. We need reminders of times and places in our life where we felt hopeless and lost and we maybe done things to ourselves that put us in these bad situations, but God showed up anyways. You probably have times like that that you can think of. Times where you were in a dark place and maybe you don't like to think about those times, but it's important to remember the times that God shows up in the middle of nowhere. In Genesis 28, when God revealed himself to Jacob, there was a, there was a revelation. There was this awakening within Jacob. Jacob woke up to the reality of God's presence with him. Like Jacob, we need to wake up to God's presence in every moment of our lives. When God shows up in the middle of nowhere, he opens up our eyes and he changes nowhere to God being now here. He's now here in our lives. God is right here with us right now, and he's been here all along. God doesn't wait until we've made it. God doesn't make wait until we've continually made right decisions to bless us or love us or to pursue us. He pursues us before we ever decide to make the decision to follow him. In Psalm 103 that Ethan read just a few minutes ago, David's writing this, and David knows a thing or two about getting himself into some bad situations and some dark places. But he also knew about God's mercy. Listen to the words that David writes again in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We have a God who pursues us, who shows up when we are in difficult spots that maybe we've dug for ourselves. And the only thing that we can do in response to it is to respond to the invitation to be a follower and to serve God each day. Today, maybe you need to respond to the invitation. Maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe it's something that you have caused yourself. It's self-inflicted. Maybe you've made some decisions you're not very proud of and you need to recognize that God's presence is in your life working right now for you to find forgiveness and to follow him. If you need prayers or encouragement this morning, if you need to give your life to Christ for the very first time and become a Christian through baptism, we're going to give you that opportunity as well. However we can help you, however we can encourage you, won't you come now as together we stand and sing.